0: There she is. I'm on the Beira Peninsula in West Cork.
1: And as
2: you can see, she's got her, her winter clothes on.
0: It's midwinter 2017, the solstice.
2: She's lying flat on her back and she's got a lovely, cosy fur coat of green moss.
0: What we're looking at is a Sheelinigigig, an ancient stone carving, a priceless slab of Irish heritage.
2: So we can clear off a little bit.
0: Just for the bit. The, uh... And the man I'm with was at one point a chief suspect in the theft of a gig, which in turn became part of a global investigation into an international antiquities smuggling ring that began right here in Ireland and which has baffled all of those involved.
2: It's almost luminescent in this light, isn't it?
0: This carving is an exact replica of the stolen gig. It was meant to replace the original, taken from the wall of a church at Kiltyne in County Tipperary, just outside the village of Feathered. And of course, I suppose in a way,
2: this is almost prolonging the mystery, isn't it? Because the longer I leave it here, the more like the original uh, she becomes.
0: Jim O'Connor quickly became the chief suspect in the theft of the Kiltyne in Gig, and he was questioned in 1990 about the disappearance of the original.
2: And quite dramatically, the guards arrived one snowy night, it was, the life out of me.
0: At the time it was stolen, this stone carving of a naked female figure was estimated by the tabloid newspapers to be worth up to three million punts, or about six and a half million euros in today's money.
2: I remember coming to the door and opening it wide and standing there, and there was several cars and the headlights all pointing at my door. And a voice boomed out Are you Jimmy O'Connor of Feathered County Tipperary? The guard in South Tipperary are continuing their investigation of yesterday's theft of a sheila gig from a medieval church. The stone carving was extremely heavy and more than six feet off the ground, indicating that the thieves had gone to some effort to plan their operation. A, a panel of guards interviewed me about, you know, my movements. <laughs> they told me, you know, the, that the sheila in Feathered had been stolen. And uh, I was I was shocked.
0: This was just one incident in a spate of secretive looting or underground treasure hunting that was going on in Ireland for many years. Ned Kelly from the National Museum was part of the effort to stop the gangs who were operating here in Ireland. It was a big
3: network. It was well-connected. They were, for the most part, uh, otherwise regular members of society. They wouldn't be career criminals as such. But there was big money involved for these specialised
0: gangs and the robbery of the Kiltynan church, Sielinigig, would become linked to a million dollar treasure deal on the other side of the Atlantic.
3: Uh, up to two and a half million dollars were discussed at, at, at one stage.
0: So what exactly is the stone carving at the centre of this story? And why was it of such value and interest to be part of an international investigation including the Garda Síochána and the FBI? And while you might have heard the name sheilinigig, what they are, or were used for, is still a mystery. They are figures
4: mostly carved in stone.
0: That's Dr Barbara Freitag. She's studied and written about sheilinigigs.
4: These females are nude and they expose their vulva. Now, a lot of them are found in churches and uh, quite a few on castles. To a lesser extent, they're found in wells and
0: It is hard to believe that statues of women exposing their genitals could go unnoticed in the Ireland of long ago.
4: In Ireland we have about 120, or maybe even more. And because many of them were hacked away in the past and buried, we find quite a few buried very decently in, in cemeteries, etc., there must have been far more in the past.
0: Jim O'Connor is taking me to see the last known location of the Kiltyne and Sheelinagig, the one he was questioned about in 1990.
2: We're about three and a half miles southwest of Feathered, and we're actually in the proper valley of Slevenamon. This, this road, for almost a mile and a half, you know, forms the boundary of Kiltyne Castle Estate. It, it is one of the oldest uh, inhabited castles in, in the country. It was built in the first couple of decades after the Norman invasions, And actually, my granduncle bought a slice of the estate in uh, 1912.
0: Jim's family had a farm near the church where the, the gig stood.
2: Just under 100 acres of the estate, you know, back towards the north. The owner of the castle in a century, wonderful old woman, Miss Le Terrier, was my dad's best friend. But as a child, I grew up here background, your know, ponies. The ponies kind of bred. She had wonderful Arab stallions and they led to a very distinct pony called the Kiltainan pony.
0: This was where the sheilinigig was stolen from in 1990.
2: We're going to Kiltainan graveyard and the church. It really is it's very, very old. Uh, some wonderful features about that. That tower, uh, there's, you know, it's possibly parts of that are probably as old as the castle itself.
0: Jim's brother is buried in the graveyard, and
2: here's the site of it.
0: It's a very personal place for him.
2: God, this is well covered over. You see, that's that's the space there. Now, the hole was left open for a long time, but now it's filled in. So this would be the south-west corner of the church, yeah, and it was quite
0: high up. It formed the cornerstone.
2: I should do my public duty and come in and clear that ivy off of that section anyway.
0: The reason Jim O'Connor was the chief suspect in the theft of the gig might have been because he knew it so well and loved it so much.
2: When it disappeared, um, people were being asked, you know, if they had any theories as to who would have taken it. And unfortunately, a great friend of mine, he said, oh, Jimmy O'Connor probably stole that.
0: Jim was a founding member, of the Feathered Historical Society, set up to preserve the built heritage of the town and surrounding area. A fellow member is Joe Kenny.
5: We dated has as and taken on the, it was the 9th, I think, of January. And the 10th of January, then we kind of put in kind of a campaign and the press seemed to take it up really fast. And it was on all, uh, it was on national television, it was on everything. International. Yeah. The theft was discovered early yesterday morning by an employee of the farm in Kiltynen,
2: where the medieval church is located. The owner of the farm is Mrs. Ogden White.
0: She takes up the story.
4: They'd taken it out um, very carefully, obviously, with very skilled workmanship, stone workmanship.
0: The local gossip was that maybe Jim had taken the shilling a gig to prevent anyone else from ever taking it.
5: Jimmy would have been—he he expressed a huge love of Sheila's. Like he was, uh, he was uh, fascinated by Sheila's. So he would have been the chief suspect because he was in town at like the area, like, and uh, because he had—he—he—he he, he was openly very expressive about Sheila's. And um,
2: yeah, well, I think that at one of our meetings at one stage, one stage yeah. I probably, you know, was saying that field monuments were under pressure, you know, that they were vulnerable, but I, I wouldn't have known at that stage what to do about them.
0: Whatever about the local speculation in Tipperary, there was already a big business in stolen historical artefacts throughout Ireland, and the legislation to prevent it happening was useless. Oddly, The job of trying to recover all of this looted treasure stolen from around Ireland was the responsibility of the National Museum.
3: My name is Ned Kelly and I'm the former keeper of Irish Antiquities in the National Museum of Ireland. Well, I was in charge of the national collection of archaeological material. Now, at that time, the National Museum was very actively involved in investigating the activities of treasure hunters who were searching monument sites, including national monument sites, illegal excavations, digging up material. A lot of material we know was being exported. There was a whole network of black market dealers involved in this, both in Ireland and abroad. And there were specialist collectors as well in Ireland and outside the country who were buying material. Material was also being offered to museums abroad. But the museum took the lead because of our predominant responsibility for objects. But
0: the gig that Jim O'Connor was questioned about would hardly be described as beautiful treasure, as Dr Barbara Freitag explains.
4: While they're nude figures, it's quite obvious that this figure uh, emphasises two things. One is the head and the other is the the vulva. Now, the head, in contrast to the vulva, is emaciated, skeletal-looking, gappy teeth, no hair, that sort of thing. Whereas the vulva is huge, out of proportion, and sometimes hanging as low as uh, to the ground. Now, the other features of this figure are emaciated ribs, no breasts, and uh, the limbs are very often uh, redolent of, let's say, an otherworldly meaning. Now, the otherworldly meaning was what attracted me most to it because Quite a lot of sheilas actually raise one hand. In fact, we have 25 sheilas who raise one hand and they have a little object in this hand, which we cannot make out, or they touch the, the head with one hand while the other drags open
0: the vulva. There are different opinions about gigs, where they came from and what their purpose was.
4: The theories that were, you know, the most popular were twofold. One, we're dealing with a Celtic goddess... And the other was, this was a morality lesson in stone. It was a warning against the sin of lust. Now, neither of them made a lot of sense to me because if they were a warning against lust, if we look at the um, where they are situated, we find that they are situated in churches very high up, and cannot be seen. Very often you need binoculars in order to make them out. So the idea of these being morality lessons in stone didn't make a lot of sense. The other theory that Schielander gigs were a late adaptation of a Celtic divinity and that people would have uh, remembered old things and, and, and suddenly in the 13th, 14th century started to put these up on churches. If they were a Celtic goddess, why would the church put up a Celtic goddess on the the walls?
0: So, Celtic goddesses, religious warnings about the sin of lust, or something else entirely. Barbara Freitag has a very different theory explaining the graphic imagery on the carvings. Back in 1990, they were being described in news reports in fairly modest terms.
2: Pat Holland is the curator of the Tipperary South Riding Museum. He explains what gigs are. These gigs are medieval card figures of females. They're exhibitionist figures. They're displaying their sexual organs. Have they got any artistic merit? Um, they would have a certain amount of artistic merit, but they are um, somewhat crude on occasions. They are fearsome, frightening and they can be very uh, aggressive
0: in their car. So, if Jim O'Connor didn't take the Kiltine and in a gig, who did? It was
2: in the general news at the time that artefacts were beginning, you know, field monuments, as they were being called, were beginning to disappear. It wasn't big news, but it was coming through to historians and people who were interested.
3: Ireland is a wealthy country in terms of its archaeology. There were tens of thousands of of archaeological sites which were protected in law. Very, very wealthy sites in in the Irish Midlands. They were being specifically targeted. People had actually trained to engage in treasure hunting. Some of them went as far afield as Cyprus to train. Castle sites were being raided. There was a lot of of important uh, coins being found, coin hoards being found, which weren't being reported to the museum and were being dispersed mainly on the London market. We're talking about a complete range of material uh, from prehistoric down to relatively modern times. Even though people knew that this was illegal, when people got into it first, the top penalty was a fine of £50. Now. If you're digging up objects potentially worth millions, that is not a disincentive. And
0: it wasn't so much your ordinary decent criminal involved in this.
3: We had businessmen, we had priests, we had policemen, in one case a senior surgeon. It was quite extraordinary. It was a real slice of Irish life. They were at it for the money. Most of the objects are coming from protected monument sites. The first theft of a gig was, was the, the Kiltainan one, and that was a very well-known gig.
0: The Kiltainan gig was the most high-profile disappearance of a historical artefact at that time. And when Gardaí made inquiries, Jim O'Connor's name kept coming up. The fact that he knew all about them and knew what they were worth. Jim has never spoken publicly before, until now, about why he believes he became a person of interest.
2: I imagine, you know, um, the guards making their inquiries, the detectives, as it was in this case, and particularly when the fire had been lit under them by the National Museum. So I'm saying, this is going on all over the place. This has to be stopped. And uh, have you any idea what this figure is worth? And the figure of £3 million was mentioned. Uh, and anyway, that galvanised the guards into... Big action and maybe they would be doing their job, you know, going around, talking to people. and So all roads seem to lead to me. Jimmy know where is Jimmy O'Connor? Oh, he had a couple of businesses and he seems to have kind of cleared out. He sold everything and and uh, which was what happened in 1989. So why would he have stolen it? Because he's trying to preserve them. He's always talking about it. He's been talking about these since he was a child and so on. You know, he's, he's that sort, you know, he'd, he'd kind of do something dramatic, if you like, to protect something but then they would have found I had land nearby. They found that I, my jeep was seen outside my piece of land on a dark winter's night, the night of the probable theft of the sheila, because they didn't know precisely what day it was. And somebody had taken the number, and it was
0: my vehicle. Jim had moved away from the area. He was living in Glengareff in West Cork.
2: It was two days before or something like that, um and i was I, I had been up, and you know I had checked my land and my gate and the lock and everything else, and then went happily back to Glengarve to continue with uh, the other business and uh, adding two and two together, you know he was making sense with them. this guy, for one reason or another was committed to, you know a crime, so keep an eye
0: on him although Jim was questioned, he was never charged with any offences throughout his life. <laughs> The investigation was making no progress until about a year later in 1991. Ned Kelly from the National Museum was on the trail of a treasure hunter who would become the target of an international FBI sting operation.
3: I first became aware of Peter Kenny in 1988. He was a known associate of known treasure hunters in the Longford area. So he was very much on our on our list of suspects. But we had no smoking gun on him at any point when he was living here in Ireland. Kenny was Irish. He'd moved back from Australia in the 1980s. He was operating a a restaurant on a boat on the Shannon. He was going out with a metal detector, searching sites, but he also uh, was involved in, in removing carved stones from from one of the important sites in Lockery on the monastic island of Inch Claron or Quaker Island. There were other stones stolen from other sites. Quite a number of the, the the monastic sites in the Midlands had stones that were that were going missing. Ancient stones, crosses,
0: gold and coins were being bought up by wealthy collectors in Europe and America.
3: He sold out the the boat restaurant in Longford, and he went down to Galway, and he bought a fishing boat. Kenny had a career in the Merchant Marine over decades. Kenny at this time was uh, in his late 60s, although he had a young wife from Sri Lanka and two small kids as well. He had the boat refitted, and it was refitted mainly by out-of-work actors in Galway. (laughs) he put the stones on board the vessel as
0: ballast. Peter Kenny sailed west with his boatload of plundered treasure,
3: hoping to make a fortune from some wealthy American benefactors. As he crossed the Atlantic, he was in radio communication with one of his gang members in Longford. And one of his conversations was recorded by a radio ham. That person came into the National Museum and handed us a transcript of of the tapes and a copy of the recording that he'd made. But from that, we knew that somebody, we didn't know it was Peter Kenny, was bringing material to the United States and that they were going to make landfall in Miami. But the tape wasn't enough to start an investigation until Peter Kenny tried to sell what he had. So when Kenny got to Miami, he contacted a number of places, but one of the places he contacted was the John Bourne's Library in Boston College. The John Bourne's Library has, has one of the best collections of Irish literary material in North America.
0: Boston College in the US is well known for its interest in all things Irish.
3: And he contacted uh, Bob O'Neill, and he offered to sell him material, which he said he was the legal owner of. Bob
0: O'Neill was the chief librarian at the Burns Library in Boston College. Bob O'Neill was immediately suspicious and he contacted the National Museum. When word got to the Irish government and Charles Houghy, who was Taoiseach at the time, it was taken very seriously. This was a serious crime. Tom Connolly was a superintendent in the Garda-Shakona investigation unit and it was he who took charge of what was quickly becoming an international case. And the commissioner
1: just thought proper to I get the investigation section to investigate. I was in touch with the FBI, and they asked me, would I go over to assist them in the investigation?
3: Once the American authorities realized that the Irish authorities were serious about this, and that we were going to send people over to, to ensure that we got this stuff back, the FBI then, you know, treated it as a as, as a major, a major case.
1: Kenny was asked would he produce the items at the college on a certain day.
0: So he said he would. Kenny had no idea he was walking into a sting with the
3: FBI and the Garda corner on hand. He arrived in Boston, but he was he was very cagey. He didn't bring the stuff with him. He he left the stuff in the lockup in Miami. He was then introduced by Bob O'Neill to Ed Clark, who he was told was a wealthy patron of of Boston College, and Ed looked every inch of it, you know. But Ed was, in fact, an FBI agent.
1: On the morning that Kenny arrived at the college, there were a number of FBI men there. Some of them were dressed as workers around the place and some students.
3: Ed, Ed Clark was... He was on a wire when he met Kenny in in Boston College in the library.
1: So I spoke to Kenny, and he produced some items. He didn't have the gravestones, but he produced some, and uh, but he offered to sell them these items.
0: The story and Ed Clark made the RTE news.
5: An FBI
2: agent pulled as a buyer for what they called these pieces of history.
1: We originally agreed, uh, after some negotiation, to come down from a million dollars to
0: $425,000. The goods involved were gravestones from monastic sites in Ireland,
3: other stone carvings, and even antique firearms. Ed said, look, you know, we're interested in getting more of this stuff. Uh, Have have you got more of this material back in Ireland that you can suppliers with. He said, I'm interested in a shield in the gig.
0: Peter Kenny had no idea he was being set up. The FBI used him to flush out the gang back in Ireland. Uh,
3: we, we, we had discussions before the meeting and Ed said, I'm going to ask this guy to, to supply me wit, with stuff. What would a collector want from Ireland
0: Ned Kelly believed they might also be able to find out if this gang was involved in the Kiltoyne and Sheelanagig in Tipperary. If it was, it would prove definitively that Jim O'Connor did not take it.
3: I said, tell him you want a Sheelanagig. It is the sort of thing that a collector would be interested in.
0: The FBI's sting operation involving wiretaps and a million-dollar deal now revealed another twist. Kenny told O'Neill and told... Uh
1: Clark about where he got these items or some of the items and he said a serving Garda in Ireland that he had been in touch with him and I have no doubt that he assisted him getting these items so Kenny was asked to know what he ring the Garda so he agreed it was a tape recording of the phone conversation and in it the Garda admitted yeah that he would get, this Sheila Niggie. And he named a particular day or night that he was going out to get.
3: In the meantime, Ed Clark flew down to Miami with Peter Kenny and they went out and they had a look at the material and Ed said, I'll get my moving company to transfer this stuff. So (laughs) the stuff then came into the custody of the FBI who were, of course, Ed's moving company.
0: It was a big victory for Ned Kelly and the National
3: Museum of Ireland.
2: Kenny was arrested and three stones recovered.
3: I must say that this particular operation will will significantly uh, affect uh, the the attitudes of people in Ireland who have been involved in the looting of antiquities for profit.
0: At around the same time as the Boston sting, Jim O'Connor, the chief suspect in the Kiltynan-Sheilinigig theft, moved back to the area around Kiltynan and Tipperary.
2: I needed to come up to South Tipperary and resume living there for a while.
0: The Gardaí seemed to have lost interest in him. The only There was just
2: the one formal um, chat. Nothing happened as a result of that. No charges were pressed.
0: But this being small-town Ireland, once suspicion had been raised over his involvement. Things remained a little uneasy for Jim for quite a while. The local historical society was a member of, decided to replace the Kiltoyne and Sheila in a gig with a replica.
2: We began to talk about what are we going to do now about the Sheila situation, right? But as I said, there was always a bit of an atmosphere when I was there. See, ultimately, um, almost nobody knew the Sheila as well as I did. And so uh, the idea came up that we'd raise money and stuff and we'd have a replica made and put back on the wall... The result, anyway, over a couple of weeks was that the figures were enormous. To ask a, um, you know, a well-known sculptor to take it on and the usual. I was exasperated at this and one another. And I said, in a rash moment, I said, I'll do it. <laughs> Without any experience of art sculpture, one another.
0: In the meantime, Superintendent Tom Connolly had some unfinished business with Sheila Sheelanagigs back in Ireland. Kenny put the finger on the Garda. I
1: was given a tape recording of it and when I had that I decided that well I had nothing further that I could do in America. My best place to be was back in Ireland investigating the Garda because he was going to go and get the shield in the gig on a particular night. We had surveillance in his house. This was the night that we thought that he was going to go to get the shield in the gig. Sometime here, nine or ten o'clock at night,
0: a car arrives at his house. So was there a chance the gang had stolen and stashed away the Kiltine and Sheila and were going to retrieve it? The guard had come out with a step ladder, put it on the roof of the car
1: and put a number of items into the boot of the car and it drove away. They were followed. The surveillance crowd lost them. Around two o'clock in the morning, the car returns, no lather. Now, Garda friend gets out, goes in home, and the car drives away. And the, and the surveillance unit had the number of the car. It turned out to be the property of the guard's brother. Again now, some days afterwards, the guard was arrested, and the brother was arrested. The Garda didn't talk. But the brother did. Told the whole story about the night, where they went, what they went for, and
0: told what happened that night. It turned out Peter Kenny's gang didn't have the Kiltine and gig after all. The following day, after they were trying to get
1: the to gig, there was a conversation again, again between Kenny and
0: the Garda, which was recorded.
1: And he outlined to Kenny what happened that night.
0: They were trying to steal a different one, near Cashel, also in County Tipperary. They didn't get it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That they drove to a location in Tipperary. But he says that uh, he was up on the ladder, hacking away to try and get the Sheilin gig out of the wall, and the ladder broke. And he fell, slightly injured, and... uh, they threw the ladder there, aborted the attempt, and came home. And that's as far as they got with, with, with trying to get Sheila gig.
0: Although it was mentioned in news reports at the time, Kenny's gang were questioned about the Kiltyne and Sheila, but nothing was recovered.
2: Garde have questioned a County Longford-based member of the force and two other men about the theft of a Sheila in a carved stone figure of a female... You can see that headline there, FBI tip-off leads to capture of Art Plunder gang. And the figures at that time, hundred thousand. These were only trotting after our Kiltina Shield, of course, which was valued at uh, at three million. Um, you have um, already seen, I'm sure, Peter Kenny. <laughs> he looks like a really a geek.
0: Peter Kenny served only about four months in a U.S. prison for his crimes before being released. He left for Australia and died a few years later. Detective Superintendent Tom Connolly now had a tough job on his hands. His suspect was a member of Ungarda so he was well aware of how to deal with interviews and critically how to legally and safely say nothing. We brought him to Ross Common
1: Garda Station, questioned him for quite a while, wouldn't talk. I had the tape from America of the Conversation, I brought him out to my car, which was in the car park at the Garda station. Two of us sat in the front of the car and I played the tape in the car stereo. Still wouldn't talk. Now his brother made a full statement, admitted everything. He was charged and dealt with in the court down in uh, Tipperary, and uh, I think he pleaded guilty. And there was a monetary fine. A short time after the Garda was released, I think he could see the writing on the wall. he resigned.
3: They were by no means the most professional treasure-hunting gang in the Irish Midlands, not by a long shot. And there was still no sign of the Kiltine and Sheila Nagyig. There was absolutely nothing to suggest that they were involved with the Kiltine and Sheila Gig.
0: The mystery of the Kiltine and Sheila Gig nearly matches the mystery surrounding all Sheilas. Barbara Freutag explains what these carvings showing exposed female genitalia might be.
4: Um, they are found in areas where you had peasant women who had no access to or knowledge of obstetric uh, help. So they needed to rely on these magical things. I was surprised to find that they are a worldwide phenomenon. Women all over the world relied on very similar help now the help consisted of stones you put them at the top of the body at the beginning of the pregnancy to keep the baby in and you put them between the legs in order to draw the baby out
0: Barbara says they were a way to summon up sympathetic magic to help with fertility and childbirth
4: now this means if you touch something like nowadays we know it's still we, we, we put a pin in a doll and we think we hurt somebody right and Having a, a figure like a, like a sheila with a huge big vulva, if you touched that, you were hoping that your own vulva would open for the baby to come out.
0: Barbara's theory isn't the only one. Other people believe sheilas were a kind of warning against the sin of lust or a way of scaring off invaders or a kind of gargoyle brought to Ireland by the Normans. But nowadays many more people believe in their magical powers of fertility. Back in Tipperary, Jim O'Connor spent months carving a replica of the Kiltyne and Nigig, and it was due to be unveiled in August of 1991.
2: It was called a Geek for Sheila. I have a poster for it there. You wouldn't believe it, but they arranged. Marquises in front of the, the old wards have uh, feathered and take it sold at kind of a premium and uh, kind of a craft fair, almost like a medieval thing, with food and uh, crafts going on and all sorts of things.
0: But there was a problem the night before the event. According to Jim, some of the organisers joked with him about the idea that he was going to swap back the original the following night.
2: He was saying, you want to do the big switch tomorrow? I said, what do you mean? I said, you haven't done a replica at all. You have the real one now and you're going to pull it out. And, and uh, sugar fair juice to you. It's a great story, you know, that sort of thing. I, it took a while to sink in, but as the dawn light began to break and uh, this was the day, the, the following day was the day of the big kick for Sheila. And that morning, in the early hours of that morning, I was knocking lumps off it with a club hammer. And not only did I knock, you know, almost a hundredweight and extra bits off it, I brought it into the local monumental mason. And I stayed hours in a booth with a very, very powerful grit uh, sander. And, uh, yeah, did a bit more work in it, basically. Up until the night before, it would have been fairly obvious because the stone that I had cut the effigy on was bigger. You could see polished pieces... It came from the quarry in Kilkenny.
0: There was a big crowd in the hundreds at the unveiling. On on the night, when it was
2: presented on the stage, on one side of the stage was a life-size photograph of the original in situ, and the other side of the stage was my copy, and I had been fiddling around with lights for quite some time beforehand and lit it up, and it just looked like a cleaner version of the original, and I went after that effect.
0: Jim says the same group of organisers from the previous night approached him again. I was
2: told that uh, there was a technical problem and could I take it away with me. And I questioned that and I said, I don't understand what this is about.
0: I was shocked. He assumed it was because the replica now looked too much like the original. Jim has agreed to come to Feathered to meet Joe Kenny, one of those organisers. To clear up what exactly happened on the night,
2: we had some sort of a row that night, but I can't remember what, what uh,
0: was it about. It seems to have come down to a misunderstanding about money.
5: You, you were sending us a big bill for for, for the replica for the replica, and it was a total of nine hundred or nine hundred or something, and which was totally kind of you offered to do this. You weren't commissioned. You you offered to do it like so. You kind of you were you were kind of going to hold that little. Thing at a ransom, yeah. and you weren't going to appear, but no, you but did appear. I had, I at all. You brought it in, yeah, but you were very kind of um, it was kind of a.
0: Jim had also produced a booklet about the Sheila in association with the event. Well,
5: I kind of contacted Jimmy, I said, Look, I said, read it page 11 or whatever it was in the booklet, and uh, like, it was. Yeah, I don't Yeah, and I uh, said, so You can read your little paragraph, whereas uh, I offered to do this carving. <laughs> So he, yeah, so to, to, in his own okay. word, in his own words, so he kind of um, he yeah. he, okay. so that was the thing. But we we, did, we didn't know we were fighting or anything. It was just a fraught moment, and the, we had enough for the gig, and you did turn up for the gig. We had a lot of other things on as well. We had a, the launch of the booklet, and we had that fire drawing. Then it would big Sheila.
2: So what would you think of um... my little effort in creating a replica? Is it a replica, or is it the real
5: thing? No, it's a, a replica. I would think. Yeah. Why would you think that? Why?
0: Um well I think he did a bad job. So does Joe really believe Jim stole the Sheila?
5: I don't strongly believe that Jimmy did it or any, no, in any way like you know
0: Ned Kelly from the National Museum believes the answer to who stole the Kilteane and Sheila nigig might lie much
3: further away almost everything else that was stolen in Ireland we got information because, you know, everybody talks in Ireland, and it's a very small country, and everyone knows each other. But there, was, there wasn't there was a whisper came back on the Kiltyne and machine in a gig. That suggests to me the possibility that it may have been uh, a foreigner who stole that and took it out of the country, because we do know, I know of a collection of early medieval gravestones which were stolen off a monastic site by a German individual, which ended up in Germany and are there still. It was, it was somebody who spotted it and said, I'm, I'm having that for my mantelpiece in Stuttgart, rather than a local thing.
5: They reckoned that it would turn up eventually, you know, that when the person who is the collector who wants to pay for these things, when they die or pass on, they end up coming back, you know.
2: It's probably in some keller in a castle, you know, with some rich industrialist, you know, sort of amusing his guests by drinking the latest batch of his vineyard's wine. Uh, look at this thing I acquired from Ireland. Because uh, so many things did disappear and did, we presume, end up uh, like that.
1: That
2: moss has really got. Stuck into all the crevices. What's it going to be like when I get down to the crotch?
0: There's no longer any question that Jim O'Connor was involved in the theft of the Kiltyne and Sheilinigay.
2: Unfortunately, no-one can prove that it's not the real one, except me, or take my word for it. You know, because uh, at one stage, it couldn't be. But then I, I decided to be contrary.
0: He admits to a bit of divilment in what happened afterwards, but nothing untoward. Having seen the replica carving up close, I'm certain it's not the original. At least, I'm as certain as anyone can be.
2: I don't... I actually don't feel even all that possessive towards her. I tried very hard to share this in the most generous, open way, putting my you know, money on the line but above all, I'm putting my time, my spirit my energy on the line for the public good and if you like, it was thrown back in my face and I still haven't recovered from it
0: Maybe Jim O'Connor's replica will eventually be installed in Kiltynan Church For now though Sheila and the Giggs and the Kiltynan pair the real one and the replica remain maybe as they should be a bit of a mystery right up to today and probably forever more
2: So, uh, yeah, that's my replica of the, the tiny sheila. It's a bit of a pity, isn't it? Just to have her lying here.